As we share together today, we're beginning a new message series called Finisher. Uh, And the Bible is full of images, really, especially the New Testament. Paul writes about them a lot. Hebrews does as well about life being a race. It's kind of an analogy that teaches us about what it is to be a Christian, that it's a race we run. Here it comes. I knew it would appear eventually. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So things mysteriously move in between services here, if you did not know that. I've learned that to be the case. I should have paid attention uh, more earlier. Uh, And so we're beginning that series. It's going to be four weeks long. We're very excited about it. Uh, There are a lot of things happening within it. Uh, The first two weeks of the series today and next weekend, Pastor David and I I are preaching in all the services we normally preach. Uh, The third week, uh, our bishop will be preaching. You heard David talk about that early in the announcements. Uh, We're excited about him. And one of the reasons we asked him to preach for us while we're gone, he's going to preach in all three sanctuary services Saturday night, do some video and to move to other services as well, uh, is that he's a great great preacher. And he will follow our theme so well. You will appreciate hearing him and knowing him. He leads us part of the Methodist Church throughout Texas. And so we encourage you to look forward to that time. And the following weekend, uh, Pastor David and I are going to preach together. We're in all our services together, the two of us, kind of fulfilling, fulfilling this series completion uh, in the finisher series. Uh, in, in the middle of this, we're going to Israel. And so we'll be in Israel, taking 63 folks to Israel with us. And we'll be doing some video, and they're taking a video team with us who will uh, do some shooting that we can use uh, for our Easter series and also next Christmas. And we're excited about how we'll be able to show you right where, right, right to where uh, these Bible stories happen. So there's a lot of things going on the next few weeks, so I'll share that all with you. But today, the race of a lifetime finisher. Uh, one of the very first ultra marathons was done in Australia, 1983. It was a race that was going to be from Sydney to Melbourne, which I understand is 544 miles. That's a long run, don't you know? That's, a, that's like running to Kansas City from here. That's a long run. You're not going to do that in a couple hours. It's going to take you days to do that. And the race began like this. Uh, those folks from around Australia and around the world, really, who wanted to be in that race, came in all their paraphernalia, uh, their special running shoes for long distance, special clothing and materials and uh, water sources, all these things they brought with them, preparing for this very, very long endurance race. It's going to take days and days and days to finish. There was one guy that showed up that was not like the rest. Uh, he came in there, and he was dressed kind of raggedy. Uh, he was wearing not tennis shoes or running shoes. He was wearing gum boots, uh, which is kind of just a rubber boot that goes up kind of up your knee. So they're all laughing. What is this guy doing here? You know, does he know what we're doing? He know how long this is? Is, is it a kind of, where's the camera around? Uh, and the race began. His name was Cliff Young, and, and they start the run, and there's a picture of him in that race, and they begin the run, and, the, and it starts like this. Everybody goes way ahead, and he's way behind, and they keep running and running and running and running, uh, but as time goes on, as they run, uh, he had one thing in his head that he really didn't know. He didn't know that you stop running at night, and you stop and rest. He just kept right on through the night, and the next day, and the next night. By the second or third day, he'd caught up, by beyond that, he was past them. And by the end of the race, he had won by 10 hours. That's how much he won this first ultra marathon by. In those gum boots like he wore on his sheep farm and potato farm he grew up on. Now here is the most amazing part of the story. When he won that race, he was 61 years old. And so he became a national legend. There's a statue to this guy. I'll be 61 in March. 
I won't be running any ultra marathon like that, I promise you. Uh, but when you hear that story, it, it inspires me to think about someone who's willing to endure like that. He'd practiced, he'd worked hard, he ran for years on the farm to herd the sheep. He would actually run to where the sheep were and move them from field to field, take them out of the storm, bring them to safety. That's what he did for a lifetime. And so he'd run his entire life. He was ready for this and he endured to the very end. Now, as you think about that endurance, that what for me is an inspiring story, I'll read for you Hebrews chapter 12, the first three verses. I need to set you, set you up what this is about first. That the book of Hebrews was written to a people in the church that was going through a very difficult season there in the early church. Persecution had begun. They were being isolated by the world they lived in. Uh, they were suffering in many ways. It was very difficult to win the Christian race in that first century here as this writing was being done. And there were people that were bailing on the Christian journey. There's bailing. Right and left, we're told by Hebrews, all the book, it tells us that they were quitting. They were saying enough. They were saying too hard, too many sacrifices. I surrender. And they were being absorbed back into the Roman culture. I won't say much about that. You probably know something about that already yourself. And here he's writing a word to encourage them, don't quit. Run to win, the, run to win this race. And hear those words now from Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before, before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, of the throne of God. For for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What an amazing story. Based upon the the chapter 11, where he gives a list of all those who've gone before, who've overcome in their faith, naming them Abraham and and Isaac and Jacob uh, and David and Moses and others. He talks about them. They are your witnesses. They encourage you to overcome. So it begins with the idea of witnesses, those who encourage us. Like I asked you to encourage this child that we baptized a while ago, Austin, that he will grow up as a Christian by your example. That's a challenge to be a witness for him and his family. If you've been there, done that, be an example for them if your kids are grown. That's a simple illustration of what being a witness is. But it's more than that. As we think about how others encourage us, uh, earlier in the week, I, I run on three or four days a week, just trying to stay alive, kind of running at this point, uh, and I was running, and it was my day to run, and it was really cold, and so I had the, had the hat on and had the, had the pants on that, that warmed me up. I had a couple jackets on to stay warm, and, you know, was out there, and, 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 and as I'm running, it begins to sleet, and I'm thinking for a while that, Mike... You are crazy. You're out of your mind to be running in the sleet. But it already was, you know, about 20, 30 minutes from home, so I had to run back. And so I keep running. I got to run back home. I'm going to run however long I had planned on running. And as I'm running, uh, an a, a SUV stops on the highway, uh, not far from where I'm running, on National Parkway. And it stops. And somebody rolls down the window. Her name is Melanie. She usually sits right over there. And Melanie uh, yelled out, hey, go Pastor Mike. And she said, whoo, 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 about like that. And I, I'm sounding like more like an owl, but she did that. Uh, and in doing that, and in doing that, you know, I thought, I think I, that, that, that's, I appreciate that encouragement, 
You know, I needed it in there in the sleet and the cold on my way home. You know, it's a simple illustration, but the Bible says you have witnesses, others who are saying, you can do it. Then it says, lay aside every encumbrance. Don't take it if you don't need it. Live with the strength that God gives you for the pathway he's chosen you to live. Run with endurance. The word endurance is important. Uh, Life is not a sprint, it's a marathon, you know that. It's all of life to the very end. It's not just the first part, it's the last part that tells the tale. It's the last part that separates those who succeeded from those who don't. It's not the beginning, it's the ones who finish. It's all about the finish. And then it says, fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. You've already done that some in this service, the songs we have sung have been about turning ourselves toward Jesus from where we live in, the culture we experience, the tough lives that you and I live, to turn for a moment and think about, I'm going to think about Jesus for a while. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And then Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, his own journey that he writes at the end of his life, maybe a week or two before he gave his life, he says this, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. In the future, there's later for me a crown of righteousness. His own analogy of running the race. Now, why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult to finish any race? Why is that the most difficult part? Why isn't our own journey as Christians the toughest part of our life? And I'm going to show you a a picture. It's actually a chart that I've learned to appreciate. I'm going to leave that up there for a while. So me and chart, me and chart, and make that connection here. But in this church life cycle, this, this, this compares to your life, my life, as well as the church. And I use this for some uh, church coaching that I do and consulting I do with other churches. And it's a great uh, illustration of how patterns happen for us if we're not careful. Now, I'm going to explain, the, the lower left-hand corner talks about when we're when the birth. Uh, when a church is young, or when you and I first encounter Jesus Christ. And the word is, it's a big V, which means vision. So we have that vision, that faith, that exciting moment. Jesus is in my heart. The church is excited about the mission and what God's calling us to do. And, and things are wonderful and happening in our life. And it, and it always begins with that vision, that connection with Jesus, that spiritual thing that God gives us. And so it starts like that. But as time goes on, move from birth to infancy, and now we have vision and relationships. We begin building relationships, which is great with God, with Christ, with each other, uh, with our life of faith. Uh, churches build those things, and it becomes part of who we are as Christians. We have this vision. Jesus is in my heart. We love God. We want to serve God and share God with our world. We want to do great things for the kingdom of God. And, oh, yes, these friendships we share, these witnesses that we build, how exciting that is. And then as time goes on, we begin growing up to childhood. And now we have vision and relationships and, and the P, which is programs developing programs. Now, the church certainly has programs that we begin putting in place. But individually, we have uh, programs we start building. This is the program I connect with. This is a church I go to, this is the service I attend, this is the class I'm part of, this is my routine in my life, this is my program that I connect with in life, and, and those programs becoming part of our life as well. And we're still, we're still young. Then we go to ad- adolescence uh, and adulthood. Adolescence and uh, adulthood adds structure. So now we have a vision, we have relationships, uh, we have uh, programs, and we have structure. And structure begins to define our lives. For you and me, it's patterns, it's habits, it's routine. We know how the Christian drill works. know what we're supposed to do and not supposed to do. We begin that journey, and that kind of happens naturally to all of us. Not a bad thing. 
and it's adulthood. Sort of certainly the church does this. Now, we can't stop there, though. You have to keep looking at this because it changes as time goes on. We get mature, and in maturity, you have relationships, programs, and structure. But what's lost? The vision, spirit, Jesus, I love you, Lord. What can I do to serve you? It begins to be gone, that excitement that I'm going to open the Bible today and I'm going to read it. It's going to be, I'm going to find something. God's going to talk to me today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get to pray and, and God's going to work in my life and I'm going to get to share good news with other people. I can't wait to tell someone about, about what God can do for them. And so we begin losing that. And, and in relationships, we have those. Those are good. Programs, we need those things. And structure. Now, if you're with me, it keeps going down, doesn't it? We begin losing low things and we begin to get to our retirement and I'm going to get to the bottom right hand corner fast we finally get to what's that word at the bottom right hand corner can you read that death that's the word death <laughs> you know and, and there all we have left is structure just structure happens to churches all the time it's a pattern that churches go through all the time but you and I can do this very same thing and we have nothing left and the Bible calls that a form of godliness but denying the power thereof And if we're not careful, everyone goes through that pattern. We want to go back to vision. We can take that picture off now. So there's the journey. Uh, And and I I found that when I'm doing uh, church coaching and the church uh, is down to the structure phase, don't mess with them. It takes an act of Congress to get people to move from structure because it becomes so comfortable to them. Think about going back to square one. It takes a lot to make that, usually a crisis to make that happen. True for my life as well. If I've lost that vision, I lost that spirit, lost that I love you Jesus part of my journey, it often takes a crisis to move me back to a place where I say, Jesus, I need you. I don't want to live this way. I want to live this way. And that's the call to be a finisher and to finish the race in the heart of the message today. Well, here's a pattern that Hebrews tells us we need to walk through. And I ask the question this, have you really considered Christ? Uh, The writer says, consider Jesus Christ. You know, I know you're having a hard time, he says. In all all the Hebrews, he recognizes that. I know you're being persecuted. I know you're in the latter part of the race and it's gotten more difficult. The first part was easier. That was fun. We love you, Jesus. Jesus loves us and things are going so well. We're all excited about Jesus. But now it's getting to be hard to do and we're having to sacrifice and the demands are heavier upon us. Now it's more difficult to stay. And so he's saying, have you really considered Jesus Christ who endured the shame of the cross for the joy set before him? Have you yet resisted to the point of shedding blood? He tells him, consider Christ. Let's say we want to live a better life, win the life race even live like Jesus wants. We cannot do it without the vision of Christ in our heart. If we try, we're walking on a very thin branch that's going to break. But we have a tendency to let Jesus go first. He's the first thing that we give up. And we keep relationships and we work on the program. We have structure in our life. But Jesus begins to be something in the past. That's why Jesus says in one of the letter, in the letter to the Ephesian church, he says, you've lost your first love. Be careful. I know what's going to happen that you've done that. So we've got to consider Jesus Christ. Christ was crucified for a reason. I need a crucified Savior. Uh, he was not the victim of religious people 
or a secular culture or a Roman world. He gave his life for the sins of the world that we are told. This is the vision and where we begin, what moves the church and keeps us moving. This assurance of Jesus in my heart, my faith in Jesus Christ, and why we come to church and worship God to be drawn toward Jesus. That's why we sing, to be drawn toward Jesus Christ, to consider Jesus Christ, to think about Jesus Christ, to be moved to where God wants me to be and to make sure the vision stays alive within me, the spirit, uh, the truth, the good news, the life that all of us want as we, as we come to Christ. So hear that. Now the next point that leans with the first, your reason to run has to be bigger than the reason not to. Now they had reason in Hebrews not to run. They had lots of reasons not to run uh, because they were being persecuted. Persecuted to such an extent, some were even being killed for the sake of Jesus Christ. They were losing their, their financial resources. Some were losing their homes. They were being isolated by the culture. It was difficult in that first century to be a Christian. The Romans persecuted them. The Jews persecuted them. It was very, very difficult. They had reasons not to run because if they chose not to run, they could once again be brought back into the good grace of the culture, uh, and they could find themselves now. Everything's much better. It's easier. It works better for me. Uh, everybody loves me again. You know, they had reasons not to run. What's the reason to keep running? What's the reason not to give up? It has to be bigger. Is Jesus big enough that we're committed to him so much? He is bigger than any reason we have to give up or quit or be lazy or simply abandon the Christian faith or the church, or the Bible, or our prayer life, or living the way he teaches us to live. Is there anything? Is he big enough to keep it? He is. We have to consider him. Stay close to him. Who you are becoming, who you belong to, the kingdom of God that we are part of, it has to be bigger. And the more you know who Christ is, the bigger he is in your life. And as we talked about a while back, uh, he's the pearl of great price for you and me, that pearl that moves us to sell all that we have to purchase that. We're not going to give that one thing up in our life. Number two. Well, the next point here is uh, be better than the culture, never settle. Uh, there were some settling here. They were settling saying, I'm still a religious person. You know, I can still believe in God. I'm not going to tell anybody I'm a Christian. I'm going to hide that. I'm not going to be part of the church. I'm not going to be connected with this, the sacrifice that, that's part of this. I'm going to give it all up. Uh, and so they were, they were moving back into the culture. Be better than the culture. Never settle. That's so important to understand that. I'm going to give a, a silly illustration, but it worked for me. Maybe it will for you. Uh, how many have ever heard of someone named Miley Cyrus? Raise your hand. 815, which is a little older crowd, the average age at 815 is 65. This service is right about 40. All our, and, uh, 11 o'clock is around 49, 50, average age. Uh, our well services and Saturday night services are, again, about 40. If you care, that's, that's how that works. This is, average age 65. It took me a while to get them to confess. Uh, you know, it was like, oh, I can't let anybody know. I know who Miley Cyrus is. You know, what if somebody sees me? You know, I had to beat them out, and they finally raised their hand. Yeah, they all knew who Miley Cyrus was. Well, how many, how many know who Justin Bieber is? Okay, everybody's confessing, I know who he is. How can you not know? You have to be a fan. He's just out there all the time in the news. You can't miss him. Or Lindsay Lohan. Recognize that name? I think, wasn't it Herbie, some kind of movie? Uh, Herbie that she was in, changed since then, Lindsay Lohan. Now, all three of these kids, and I say they're kids, they really still are, begin as sweet little kids. Two were raised in Christian families, if you did not know that. 
Christianity, Christian faith was part of their life. It's how they uh, lived their life as young people. Uh, two of them were in that category. Uh, and then they got rich. Then they got famous. And they lost all restrictions. There's no boundaries anymore because when you're rich and famous, all the boundaries are gone. There's no witnesses, no support, no encouragement, uh, no guideline. No, none of that's there for them anymore. And now all they've got, all they've got at this point is the culture. It's all they've got, the culture. They have nothing else. They look out there around the culture, and there they see it. And, you know, what they've done is simply become what the culture said you should be. The culture says, do this. Okay. Smoke this. Okay. You know, live like this. Okay. Buy this. Okay. And, and act this way. Okay. We say, what's wrong with those kids? Nothing. They're living like the culture around them encourages them to live. What they see on television, on media, and the folks that they run with and their friends in the media industry and the uh, Hollywood industry, and they're simply following the rules. Why should we be surprised? They just got rich and sucked into the culture, became just like the culture expected, formed and shaped them, and we wonder what happened. Nothing. It's just how it works if if we don't have something else. Christian life has always been, always will be counter-culture. It will never be what the culture is. And the culture is never going to become what Christianity is. We have to make a decision about that. Is it the book or not? Is it our faith or not? Is it Jesus or not? Is it his teachings and commandments are not. It's always counterculture, and that is hard. If you ever swim upstream, you know how hard it is. If you ever row a boat upstream, you know how hard it is. If you ever run into the wind, you know how hard that is. If you ever try to run 544 miles in gumboots, that's pretty tough. But how bad do you want to win? What do you care about? What do you believe in? Be better than the culture. Never settle. And I see churches everywhere, Christians everywhere who settle every day instead of saying, I want to win this race. Well, the last point here is don't lose sight of who you are as a Christian, a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, Cliff Young, when he was asked, how did you run 544 miles at 61? And he said, well, I ran for years on, on the farm. You know, I would run two or three days to get to where the, it was a very, very big, a lot, a lot of acreage to where the sheep were and had to bring them back, especially if a storm was coming. And I had no choice. That's what I did. Uh, but they, he, he said when he was running, though, he would just simply imagine he's on the farm again, running for the sheep, running from the storm to save them. And so he just kept thinking about that. He, he, kept, he kept remembering who he was. You know, he, just a sheep farmer. I'm a sheep farmer, and that's what I do, and I'm going to save these sheep. You know, who are you? Who are we? Who am I? The more I know that, the more I realize who I am, who I want to be, the more encouraged I am by those around me in my journey. And here's what those, those people are, a great cloud of witnesses saying, you can do it. Lay aside every encumbrance, get rid of it. Run with endurance, don't give up. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the one. Do not grow weary. And do not lose heart as he encourages those who hear this to continue on. The words are so great. Now, I'm going to tell you the story about three people, and I'll be finished with my sermon today. But uh, I had, last Friday, I had a, a funeral sermon, a family to walk with through a funeral time last Friday. Monday morning, Monday, I had another funeral with another family. And then Wednesday, I had a third funeral. So within five days, I had three funerals. That can happen sometime. 
in the church. And I knew all these folks very well, knew their families, and knew the people that had died, which makes it more personal, also more difficult. This is not about me, though. It's about these folks. The first one funeral was last Friday, and it's for Paul. Now, Paul belonged to our church for 30 years. I got to do his 50th renewal of anniversary of wedding vows with he and his wife, uh, Jane, uh, about 15 years ago. Uh, and so you can see how old they were at this stage of their life. And about six years ago, uh, and they live people of faith, uh, he uh, retired from the post office, and after that, he opened a carpet cleaning business to kind of supplement his income, cleaned our carpets here for many years, giving us a good deal on that, and we appreciate Paul doing that for us. And, uh, but about six years ago, he realized their health was deteriorating. Uh, he began to where he just couldn't hardly walk anymore and had tremendous back pain in a wheelchair much of the time. And his wife began having the, having the early signs of Alzheimer's. So he just got, put her in the car. This is how he told me he did it. And I went down to, uh, uh, it's a nursing home, but uh, called Town Hall Estates in Keene, Texas, and said, we need a room. <laughs> you know, he said, this is it. You know, I can't stay home. I can't take care of her. She can't take care of me. And our family's not close by where they can do that. And so he went in a room, and, and they got a little room in the corner there. He to, I would visit him on occasion. Uh, other people visited him as well there in that room, he and his wife. And she deteriorated as time went on until she didn't know really who he was. And he got to where he was in a wheelchair all the time, uh, even though he became for five years the president of the resident council there in the nursing home, representing all the other residents. Uh, he's a legend there. Uh, with the residents as well as the folks who uh, were there to take to provide the care. And when I visited him, he always was a man of faith, always smiled, talked about his life and his stories, and, and got to pray for him, even, a, even just a few short time before he passed away. I was able to do that for Paul. And I think, you know, he ran with endurance. He's running to the end. He ain't stopping. He's keeping the faith till I breathe my last breath, even if it's as difficult as this. His wife took care of him uh, for most of their life. The last five years, he took care of her there in that same room, the very last. And I saw that, and it inspires me to see a man do that for his wife and the other residents and his faith and his family. It's an honor to preach his services. On Monday, we did Gloria's service. Gloria uh, sang in our choir, uh, went with the choir five years ago to uh, England not England, with, to, to, with, with the choir to uh, Germany and Austria. Sang all over there, enjoyed all that. Her daughter went with her. She needed a little bit of help because she was already having the early stages of Alzheimer's herself. And they were afraid to let her go without some kind of support. So uh, the daughter went with her, enjoyed that trip together. Spent the last two years of her life in Alzheimer's. Uh, Avalon just down the road uh, with that. There, uh, and I got to see her a short time before she died as well and pray for her. Uh, and after her death... Preparing for the services, everybody came from every direction uh, in her life. The, the choir, of course, came out to support her. The educators she taught with for 50 years came. They were little old folks, but they all came to tell stories about her and her life and her faith and her love for God. Her old church, she grew up, she spent years, and when she was a young mother and had little kids way back in Oak Cliff, Texas, uh, Oak Cliff, uh, the Methodists, they came too, and they were there to tell their stories about Gloria's life and faith and witness and example. I didn't know that part of her at all. I only saw the, the older lady who was kind of slipping a little bit who told me a few years ago she's going to join our church and how much she loved it and loved Scott and want to be part of our church family. I, didn't say, I saw all those witnesses gather around and I, and I saw her testimony of faith throughout her life and I saw how she encouraged them and how they were there for her at the very last. It was a great story. 
as difficult as it seems, you know, she laid aside those encumbrances one at a time. There was nothing left but Jesus. Nothing left but Jesus. That was it. But that was enough. It's always enough. We might think how awful that is. She couldn't call you by name anymore. She was agitated and had difficulty. And, and, but no, Jesus was there. Think about the race, the endurance. Is this worth it? It's what we, is, is, is the run, reason to run bigger than the reason not to? I'm telling you it is. I'm telling you it is. And then Wednesday Forest. Forrest belonged to our church for many years. One of the very first people that joined the church when I came in 1995. Uh, Forrest was involved in many parts of our church family. His wife was as well. Came to 815 worship almost every week. Part of the Wesley Sunday School class. Worked in the mission center. Uh, many other t- activities as well that they did together, and he did certainly. Uh, in the latter uh, part of his life, he was still very active. Uh, doing what he wanted to do. Uh, he had gone the week before he passed away to see his, uh, his granddaughter play soccer in Plano in freezing cold weather. Said, and they said, you shouldn't go. He said, I'm going. I'm going to see her play. And they, his grandkids all remember that he did that. He was there for them and wherever he could be. And they loved that about him. And that's who he is. And his Sunday school class and golfing buddies were there. And the Sunday school class was there. His family was all there. And in recent years, uh, he had done the oil industry. And because of the gas explosion around our area, he got to start working again in his 70s. And he was so excited to be able to contribute to the oil and gas industry once again with his knowledge he'd gained through the years. And he was back to working for several years. He loved doing that. He took a phone call a week before he died uh, about the gas industry and what he knew, what he could give. And he thought, maybe I'll go back to work again. You know, one more time, possibly, what he's thinking, you know. Uh, and he kept the faith right to the last. Right to the last as he walked into his closet, uh, sat down to take his coat off, and, and his, had, a heart, uh, had a heart issue at that moment and, and died later that day. Uh, it was very suddenly he was gone unexpectedly. But, you know, I think about, uh, you know, how, how we think about life and say, never settle. What's the reason we have to run? Have you considered Jesus Christ? Look at the chart I gave you. And I share with you, it begins with vision and faith and, and hope and love and life for the church and you and me individually. And if we're not careful, oh, we get left to structure. And when that happens, the word was dead dead, you know. So it's up to you and me. And so we're encouraging you this season to think about finisher, to finish the race, the first in a four-part message series that speaks to that. And I pray you'll be blessed by the words we share with you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, remind us today of the reasons to run, and we can lay aside the reasons not to. You know, God, the stage of life all of us are in. Some are new Christians. It's, we're all about the vision and faith and spirit. What an exciting time it is for us, God, if we are there. And some, Lord, are on the other side. Oh, oh we got left a structure. We knew what time church started and we got here. We're in all kinds of places, Lord, in this journey. But you know where we are, God. And we pray, you, Lord, you revive us in that journey and faith in Jesus Christ. If we're, if we're not yet accepted you, ex- Lord, Forgive us our sins. We offer you our heart and our lives. And if we have God, restore to us the joy that it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We might live in abundance, make a difference, finish the race to the very end, and follow you as you've died for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.